My name is Sam Connect. If, I think I've met each of you potentially, uh, but if you haven't, my name's Sam. My wife Maddie and uh, daughter Lorraine are in the back. It's a privilege to be with you guys. We've been in quarantine for a couple weeks. It's just a joy to be with you all. Um, this is Systematic Theology 1. You guys have probably been here already, but if you're in the wrong class, we're glad to have you. We will just stick it out together. Um, but whether you already love systematic theology, that may be some of you, that's me, or if you struggled to wake up this morning and you weren't sure if it was worth it to get here, I think regardless, what we're talking about today is going to be super practical for your life. This is going to be immediately practical. Um, Sam Dawson in the back kicked us off a couple weeks ago with just this big picture overview of systematic theology. Systematic theology, a big word for really one one task. Can anyone tell me what what we're doing when we're doing systematic theology? What are we trying to do? Nick. Yeah. yeah. So theology to scripture, connecting those. We're trying to answer like one big question, and you're kind of getting at it. Does anyone remember what that big question is? Anybody remember? We're trying to answer, what does the whole Bible say about X topic? You know, fill in the blank. So Nick hit it, connecting scripture to theology. What are these questions that we have about everyday life, about God, about Christ, about the gospel? What does the whole Bible say about this? Um, As opposed to biblical theology, which is, more rigid to the text and following the Bible as it progresses, we're going to take the whole Bible into account. And that's why I had you guys hold up your Bibles and let me know if you have them because we will be using them. Um, Now, Sam continuing, he gave some attributes of the Bible. He told us how we got them. Um, What is this book that we have in our hands today? How is it the Word of God? Uh, And then he talked about some characteristics, some inerrancy, infallibility, some of those ways that we can trust the Bible, uh, if you remember that. Any questions on the first two weeks of what we've covered so far? I can try to answer them. We have other teachers in the room, but any questions on last week or the week before, before we jump into our topic today? Anything top of mind? Awesome. If you look at the back of your handout, I'm actually going to go grab one. If you look at the back of your handout, thank you. You'll see this progression of topics. Um, you'll see this progression of topics. We started with the word, an introduction to systematic. And you might guess that this is kind of a random, like we just sort of stuck our hand in the Scrabble letter bag and we just grabbed some topics. But this is actually very intentional. We are intentionally looking at each one of these in an order. Um, and today, we're going to start where the Bible starts. We're going to start with our topic today being the Bible's first topic. We're going to look at the God of the Bible. We're going to marvel at some of his attributes. We're going to ask the question, how do we know he exists? And then we're going to behold him and his uniqueness. We're going to try to understand this God who is bigger than us, um, different than us, and we're going to try to understand him today. Um, And that's what we're going to be doing today and, Lord willing, next week before we move into what God has done in creation, who we are, as humans, um, and we move on to providence and then person and work of Christ. Um, Now, raise your hand again if you've heard of this book, Big God by Orlando Sayer. Okay, we have one person who's heard of it. Have you read it? Okay, haven't read it. This is great. Anybody can take it. I was thinking, man, we have a bunch of people who read it already. Anybody would be interested in this book, Big God. It's going to cover some topics that we're going to cover today is very helpful, very short. Um, next week, when we look at some other attributes, we'll give away another book. So let me pray. Um, let us pray, and then we'll we'll jump into looking at this God of the Bible. Lord God, we we praise you this morning. You are the one true God. You are worthy of our attention and our affection. You're the one true God, and you're the one who we can trust with our lives. 
And we pray that you would reveal yourself, show us yourself by your word today. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Now, I'm a theologian. Um, No, I don't have any degrees. I do not have any degrees on my resume. I've never personally stepped foot in an ivory tower. You may have. You wouldn't guess it by my resume or by looking at me, but I am a theologian. I can confidently say that. And so are you. Each one of you, if I go one by one, each of you are a theologian in your own right. You and I, every single person who lives, has ideas about what God is like. You have ideas about what God is like. Either he doesn't exist, he does exist, he's a good God, he's an evil God. He, I don't like him, I do like him. I trust him with my whole life. I don't want to have anything to do with him. We all have ideas about who God is. Day in, day out, 24-7. We actually live, welcome guys, we live with those ideas and we work out those ideas practically in our lives. We make decisions based on those ideas about God. So sometimes what we're going to do today is called theology proper. Have you guys heard that term, theology proper? So that word theology, you know, one of the two words in this class title, is really just the study, the ology of theo, God. So study of God is really what we're doing today. The question is not whether we are theologians or whether we can be one day theologians. It's whether we're good ones, whether we have an accurate aligned understanding of who God is. And trust me, that's a very practical question for your lives. That is immediately practical. When you're in the thick of challenges, loss of a job, if you you have depression, loneliness, death of a loved one, if you have a miscarriage, you name it. If there is suffering or challenges in your life, then you, what you understand about God will have an impact on how you get through that. And when you're wondering what the point of the Christian life is, when you're struggling for holiness, when you don't really know why to keep pressing on, your understanding of who God is is going to matter. That's going to matter. It's going to determine the trajectory of your life. So if you look at your handout, there's, there's going to be two main questions that we're answering today. Two main questions. And this is really the, the starting point for thinking about God. We're going to look more at his, some of his attributes next week, Lord willing, but those two main questions, does God exist and what is God like? Super simple. We're going to keep it really simple. Big questions, but simple questions that everybody asks. The first thing that we believe about God is that he does exist. He exists. How do we know that, though? What would you say Or if someone asked you, how would you respond to that question? How would you know that God exists? What would you say? Yep. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I'll repeat it back for recordings, but yeah, he said, if you guys heard it, that God has revealed himself personally in scripture, I want to make sure your answer is accurate, and then sort of generally in nature, like he's revealed himself. Yeah. So we know God exists those two ways. What else would you guys say if someone just walked up to you like, hey, why do you trust in God? Why, how do you know he even exists? What else would you say? That was a great answer, but just thinking, thinking what else you might say. So I want to press you with that question. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's good. So we have our world that we see. So there's something, has to be something that created this, something that stands outside, something or someone who stands outside that. Those are great. Um, and you will be asked this question. I mean, you will ask yourself this question. Um, but it's important to address this question before we get into what God is like because, um, because it matters. We can't just move on from this question. But it's important to note that the Bible doesn't spend a whole lot of time arguing this. We don't have, like, turn to this chapter and here's this logical sort of step-by-step proof of God's existence. The Bible just asserts that God exists. It just assumes that God exists because it's his word. Never forget how Genesis 1-1 starts. The first words of scripture, in the beginning, God. He came before. He's before the beginning. So it's a given. It's a constant. It's a little bit like gravity. You can ignore gravity. You can reject it. You can say that's just a theory, but that's going to have a lot of consequences on your life if you just ignore gravity. Um, Every single worldview, every single religion that you that you look out at the world at, it begins somewhere with some idea, some groundwork, some assumption. So Christianity begins with two main premises. God exists, and he is not silent. God exists, and he's not silent, which is a glorious truth. He exists, he's real, he's there for us, and he is not silent. He's not distant. He reveals himself like we talked about a second ago. So if someone were to ask you how you know God exists, you could respond those ways. You could respond with the fact that the Bible assumes he does and then move on. But we can draw a a bigger, more complete answer in several different ways. We can can see how God revealed himself. Uh, If you look down at your handout, it's, it's a lot of different ways that God has revealed himself. And this is good to understand because there's different ways to answer that question in life. He's revealed himself generally to all people everywhere um, through creation, through providence. He's revealed himself generally to all people. We're going to think more about that in a second. But he's also revealed himself propositionally. So he's just spoken in the scriptures, propositions. He's said, he's spoken into existence um, through his scriptures, through his word. And then gloriously, God has revealed himself personally in his son. Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. He has revealed himself in a person in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's amazing. And then last, he's revealed himself savingly by the word and spirit. So that's a a curious category at the end, savingly by his word and spirit. So there's a sense in which if you are saved by the gospel, if you're saved by faith, through uh, by grace, through faith, then you understand God in a way that others don't quite have a grasp of. He's revealed himself savingly to some. He's revealed himself, again, generally to all people, propositionally in the scriptures, personally in the Lord Jesus Christ, and then savingly by the word, by the spirit. In just a minute, could I get a volunteer to read Romans 1, 19 and 20? Let me volunteer to read that in just a second. Awesome, thank you. So Romans 1, I promised we'd be using our Bibles. Romans 1, Paul is writing about people who reject God, who reject him personally and reject that he even exists, that he even has any hold over our lives. Um, they've, they've really ignored and rejected God. He makes the case that there's no excuse for not knowing that God exists. So we're thinking more about this general revelation to all people. You can go ahead and read Romans 1, 19 20. Thank you. So they're without excuse. God has been has revealed himself in creation, in all things that have been made. He's revealed himself. So creation cries out about its creator. We see creation, and we know that there's a creator. Who sends the rain? Who propels stars and planets on their specific courses? Who stitched together every flower that you see? Who carved out the Ozark Mountains that we love to take pictures of? Who carved out those mountains with a word? 
behind everything we see, everything we taste, everything we hear and smell and feel in this life, in this creation, there's a creator behind it. And we see that in Romans 1. If you want to think more about, if you're a parent or a grandparent, if you want to think more about this topic, about how God has revealed himself, his, parts of his character through creation, there's a great book called The Moon Speaks by Jason Dusing. You guys may have seen that floating around. I'm not sure if it's on the bookstall. But The Moon Speaks, or as my toddler calls it, Moo Beaks. So, yeah. <laughs> Don't be confused if she ever yells that at you in, in the nursery. Um, the Moon Speaks. Like, that is a great book. So he's revealed himself through creation, through what we see, taste. We, we see him and parts of his character in creation. Now, along with creation, another way that God reveals himself, I don't know if you think about this often, but through our conscience, we each have a conscience that's aligned to a moral judgment. We make judgments of good and bad. This is right for me to do. This is wrong for me to do. Our conscience screams out to us like, no, don't do that. Um, if we lie, if we um, do anything that's immoral, we have this conscience. It can be misshapen. It can be wrongly aligned. But we do have a moral compass. Um, Genesis 1 tells us, back to Genesis 1, um, you learn about a lot about God in that chapter, the opening words of Scripture. But all people are created in God's image. We're created with this stamp, with this seal from God. And so we each have a sense of right and wrong. Now, conscience reveals God. It generally reveals it to all people because it points to one who ultimately judges. Who is that ultimate judge of right and wrong? Just from unjust. Good versus evil, pure from corrupt. Who sets the judgments? Who sets the standards? So our consciences cry out internally. Before we move on, before we think more about general versus special revelation, any questions or comments on anything we've covered so far? I will move on after I have one comment or question. Yeah, no, yeah, I was going to mention that later. Romans 2 is a foundational text for understanding our sense of right and wrong. He's written his law upon our hearts. Um, there is, I will mention, there is, not to go too far into the weeds, there is some serious debate among faithful scholars on what that text means. Is that talking about Christians or is that talking about everybody? I think regardless, you can see conscience and the sort of laws of the Lord written upon every person's heart. Um, whether we choose to ignore those or not. Yeah. Um, any other questions or comments before we move on? General revelation, how we understand God generally. Awesome. Well, we've, we've sort of assumed this as we've been talking, but all knowledge about God is based on revelation. What do I mean by revelation? He's revealed himself. He has introduced himself. God has introduced himself to the world. And we... We sort of run over that fact, but he has to reveal himself for us to know him. We can't just climb our way to God. We can't try to put him in a box and study him like a scientist. He has to actually reveal himself to us. To us. And graciously, he's revealed us in those four ways, generally, propositionally, personally, savingly. And he reveals himself generally and specially. But based on, yeah, based on what we've talked about with general revelation, can anyone venture a definition of special revelation as opposed to general? How would you define special revelation? Yeah, so he has to show himself 
and not just observable means, but actually speak about himself and reveal himself through words. That kind of, yeah, exactly. So that hits it right on the head. It's really God revealing himself through actions, but also interpreting those actions for us through his word, through scriptures, through what we hold in our hands, through Romans 1, through other scriptures, through these 66 books that we spent two weeks with Sam thinking about. Um, through that word, we see him specially revealing himself uniquely through the scriptures, but also personally through Jesus. We see God become visible to us. Um, he acts in history. God acts in history. I don't know if you think about that very often, but he, he responds to this world and he acts in it, and we have those acts recorded. I mean, most um, shockingly, the cross. He acts in this world, and then he interprets those actions for us on the back end. If you want to think more about God being his own interpreter, how we don't get to interpret God's acts for him, we're not his translator. He actually interprets his acts for himself. It's a concept that is really important to remember as you're reading your Bible. I would recommend this book, No Place for Truth, by David F. Wells. It's, it's on the other end of the spectrum from The Moon Speaks. You know, like, The Moon Speaks is over there. You can, like, read it in a second. Uh, pictures, lots of pictures. There are no pictures in this. Uh, but David F. Wells, great author, No Place for Truth. He has, has written a lot about God telling us what his actions mean. We don't get to, to interpret those for him. Isaiah 48, 40, verse 8, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. We can trust that this word from God will stand forever. So let's briefly back up to general revelation. Think about what exactly can we know about God through general revelation. Uh, before we turn to these sort of three key attributes later, let's look at Acts chapter 17, verses 22 through 31. Can I get another volunteer to read Acts 17? Awesome. Um, so as you turn there, we're looking at Paul teaching about God. And yes, we are reading the Bible to learn about general revelation, but just trust me on this one. Uh, Paul is, is teaching these these people in the public square, about who God is, but he's just pointing to everything that they know already. He's just pointing, not even to the scriptures, not even to Jesus. He's just pointing to things that are plain as day. Um, so Acts chapter 17, verses 22 through 31. And before you read, I will note, we're going to do this workshop style. Like you are going to draw out from this passage things that we should be able to know just from generally living in God's world. So Acts 17, verses 22 through 31, read now. Thank you. 
Thank you for reading. So there's a bit there at the end that is specifically about Christ, specifically about a way that God has revealed himself specially, personally through Christ. But before that ending teaching on, on the man that God has appointed, what can we know? Just draw out from this passage, just call them out, things that we should know about God based on this. Yeah, he's sovereign. That's good. He's sovereign overall. Yeah, so he wasn't created. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's good. So he's everywhere. He doesn't, he's not trapped in space. That there is a God. Yeah, he exists. Yeah. Anything else? Yeah, he's self-sufficient. He, he just needs really nothing. He is himself on his own terms. Yeah, he wants relationship. So we can say he's like, he's a personal God. Yeah, he's, he is personal in his nature. He wants a relationship. Anything else come to mind? Do you like this passage? I think a couple other things we can say. He's he's one. There's one God. There are no others. And you know, you can worship these other idols, but these are you know, figments of your imagination and your your handiwork, um, your art. But the true God, there's only one. Um he he created us. He's a creator. He's independent. Yeah, he's self-sufficient, like you guys noted. And then one thing to know, he's distinct from the universe. So we'll think about that in a minute. I won't dwell on it too long, but He's distinct from his creation. He's not inside it in a way. Um, and then he sustains all things. So he's sovereign and he, he perpetuates all things. He, he sets the boundaries and he, he's sovereign in a way that is active. He sustains this world. That's awesome. Uh, thank you guys. I mean, really studying our, word, studying our Bibles and studying the word to see what God is like it's interesting because you can see this in general revelation as well. Before you get to what, how he specifically revealed himself in his word, you can see the ways that we should know about God just from creation. Uh, Romans chapter 1 and 2 also teach God is invisible. He's powerful. He's moral. And he's the ultimate source of our values. Those are things that we just, as people being created by God and living in the world that he's made, we know that. Um, so externally... Externally, creation cries out that there is a creator, and internally, conscience reveals that there is a judge determining right and wrong. But one thing to note from general revelation, what's the conclusion that we draw about ourselves? What, what, what does this leave us with in terms of understanding ourselves? Just this general revelation without Jesus, without the word, what can we know about ourselves from this? Yeah, we're dependent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're dependent on him. That's good. Yeah, we can't be ignorant. So you, yeah, and if we choose to ignore him, which we naturally do, like we're guilty. Like we're in condemnation from this God. Um, so creation cries out for us to recognize and honor its creator. And then conscience internally tells us to submit to this judge. It just reveals that we're guilty, that we don't really have anywhere to go. We are guilty before this God. And that's where graciously, generously, I would say patiently, God revealed himself specially in his word and in Jesus. And we're going to turn to special revelation because this is where we get to see what God is like specifically, and it's where we find grace. It's where we find God's mercy because him revealing himself specially allows us to not stand guilty before him is incredible. Uh, but before we dive into special revelation, any comments or questions on what we've covered so far?
So our vision is distorted. Like we, we have a vision of God. We have some understanding of him. We reach for him in our understanding, but it's distorted. Our vision of God is distorted by sin. Uh, but God's word is like that perfect prescription of eyeglasses. You know, if you ever uh, need to go to the eye doctor, Cliff just left the room, but he would get this metaphor. God's word is like that perfect prescription, like finally they figured it out. This is how I can see things accurately, and we can breathe a sigh of relief knowing that we can walk around in our lives with an accurate picture of the world. Um, and God's word allows us an accurate picture of him, of the author of his word. So today we're going to look at three primary attributes of God, independence, immutability, his infinite nature. I just want to be super clear up front that these three attributes are not the sum total of God. And if you take away one of these, you don't have God. But also, this is not a complete picture. Like Just having these three attributes um, doesn't make God. We're not going to touch on every single attribute of of this God that we worship, his justice, his holiness, his love, um, his righteousness. We're not going to get into those, but I think you'll see logically um, that these make sense to touch on first, and they kind of lay some groundwork for us understanding to fill in with those other attributes. So want to be super clear that it's not like a soup with ingredients. God is not like that. It's not like Legos where you can just sort of make your own picture, and I like to think of God this way. Um, Take away any of these or overemphasize one, and you don't have God. Um, now, today, we're going to be thinking about some incommunicable attributes of God. Incommunicable. Now, raise your hand if you've heard incommunicable and communicable, if you've heard those terms. Okay, like half-ish. Awesome. Now, keep your hand raised if you've heard them. Keep your hand raised if you've heard those terms. Keep your hand raised if you think you can define those terms. Slowly lowering. Okay. Uh, can you def give me a definition? Or strike at one. We have a bingo. This is great. Okay, come to the front. Claim your prize. Um, I already gave out my book giveaway. I'm sorry. But... Yeah, that's exactly right. So I'll just repeat it back. Incommunicable attributes are exclusive to God. He has not communicated those to us in a way. Um, yeah, theologians love using these big, fancy words with like, you've got to study the etymology of them. Anyway, incommunicable, unique to God. Communicable, we, because we are similar to God, we have his communicable attributes. But we cannot have ever his incommunicable attributes. Um, because he is God, he has these and we don't. Two helpful resources on those, if you want to think more about the difference between incommunicable and communicable. Um, how many times can I say those words today? Uh, they're just, they just roll off the tongue, you know? None Like Him by Jen Wilkin and In His Image by, also by Jen Wilkin. So I wish I had those two books because uh, it's, it's pretty great because they're books about God's attributes, but they have like flowery covers and just men in the room addressing you for a moment just ignore the flowers like read them because systematic theology is for everybody like God's attributes are for everybody the publisher just put those on there so that women would read about theology anyway I won't comment any further on that but really good content and I just uh, honestly I would point anybody to those none like him and in his image so none like him incommunicable in his image communicable um First, let's see how God is independent. Let's see how he's independent. And a lot of ideas come up to mind when you hear independent. God is independent. We've celebrated for almost 250 years in this country. Every single year on the fourth day of the month of July, we explode things. We make a lot of bright colors and we put on like red, white, and blue. Like we pick those colors and we celebrate our independence as a nation you might say that independence is something that is in our culture and it's prized and it's highly valued. We value independence. It is such a good thing as an American to be independent. But when we turn to God, when we think about his independence, it's not quite like that. We don't think about God as breaking away from this dominant power over him. He didn't have to declare his independence and make it known to the world 
in order to be independent. He doesn't have to celebrate it with fireworks or you know, hot dogs, hamburgers, whatever you like. He is independent on his own terms, and he didn't have to declare it to be so. He didn't have to fight for it to be so. God is independent. So what does that mean? He isn't dependent on us. He isn't dependent on anything. God's existence, his character, he determines those, and he is determined, they're determined by himself alone, not dependent on us or anything. And it's, it's a good thing that he's independent because he's self-existent. He's not filled up or more God or less God on Tuesday or Wednesday. He is always himself. He is independent because he doesn't depend on us. He's self-existent. Now, independence is a like $5 word, like we all know it, Independence Day. Self-existence, I threw that in there. That's like a $20 word. You know, you sound kind of smart. If you want to sound like really smart, at a, at a party of Christians, just say aseity. So A-S-E-I-T-Y. Short word, but it's like the $50 word. A-S-E-I-T-Y. Aseity just means having life from oneself. Like from yourself, you have life. Um, you have self-perpetuating, self-existent, needing nothing. Now, what are some things that we need in our everyday life? Or some things that we depend on just to live? Just shout them out. Oxygen, water, okay. think more complex, like other things. Other things that we need, we need. definitely need those. Parents, yeah, we need caregivers like to get us to this point that we can be here at church. What else do we need? Gravity, yes. We need to be on the ground or else we'd be like, not in this building right now. What else do we depend on? Relationships. I heard something else. Heartbeat. Yes. I just, I mean, you could sit here all day. I mean, we don't have the time, but we could sit here all week and just list off everything that we depend on. I would encourage you, just take 15 minutes this afternoon. 15 minutes. Go through your budget. If you don't have a budget, you should make one. But if you have a budget, just go through that list and see all the things that you devote money to. You have to buy in order to just keep going, to exist on this world. You have to buy food. You have to buy groceries. You have to have doctor's bills and insurance and whatever else, like rent, mortgage. Like You need so much just to exist another day, another week, another month. But how did God reveal himself to Moses in Exodus 3? Exodus 3:14, God's first introduction to Moses in the burning bush. What did he call himself? Moses asked, what's your name? What, what should I call you if, if I say that I was sent by you? God says, I am who I am. Yahweh in Hebrew. I am who I am. I am who I am on my own terms, and I need nothing else. Period, end of story, nothing further, the end. I am who I am. Isn't this the God that you truly want? Just stop for a second and think, this is actually the God that I want. His independence, his self-existence, it's exactly why we can go to him with our needs. We can depend upon a God who depends on nothing. We can depend and trust a God who depends on nothing. That's a good God that we follow. God's self-existence, his independence, it actually gets to the heart of the gospel, if you think about it. Because the way in which God chose to save all those who repent of their sins and trust in Christ, he chose to do that out of his own mercy. It's yet another illustration of his independence. So if you haven't turned from your sin, if you haven't trusted Christ to save you and to redeem you, I would call you to do that now because God, this independent, self-existent God, calls you to do that as well. God chose to send his son Jesus to take on human flesh. God chose to sacrifice his sinless son on the cross. God chose Jesus Christ to rise from the dead. And after Jesus' ascension, God sent his Holy Spirit to help us as we wait for Christ's return. He did each of those things. We add nothing to God's graciousness. We add nothing to his mercy. He doesn't need our good works to be who he is in his graciousness, in his mercy, and praise God, that's true. 
before we move on to the next attribute, any comments or questions on the independence of God, understanding that aspect of his nature? I'd say if you want to think and reflect on this, this specific topic further, I would take you know, an additional 15 minutes, so 30 total minutes this afternoon, not that much. Just sit and think about Romans 11, 33 through 36. If you just take that passage, Romans 11, 33 through 36. Pray through that. Write out what that passage is saying. Pray to God. Praise him for how immeasurable he is and how independent he is, how we don't add anything to him. Next, let's see how God is immutable. Immutable. Another word we need to like go to a dictionary to figure out what that means, right? Does anybody know what immutable means? Raise your hand if you, if you have heard that term. Okay, a few, like less than half. That's what I thought. So one reason viruses like the flu or COVID are hard to study, if you're a scientist or a doctor, you're trying to study these viruses, they're so difficult to study because they're constantly mutating. They're constantly changing their natures and they're making different versions of themselves for us to track down. They're mutating into these unreliable, unpredictable, hard to examine variants of themselves. Now when something changes, we might say it mutates. But we don't ever, ever, ever have to use that word with God. He doesn't change his nature. He's not unpredictable. He is unchanging. So God is immutable, literally meeting meaning unchanging. Um, he is always the way that he is. In his nature, in his character, his purposes, God does not change. You can trust that today, tomorrow, the next day, for the rest of your life. God will be who he is. What are some ways that you and I change? Just in a day, in a month, or a year, or our lives. What are some ways that we change? People. Yeah, we mature. Like we're, we're hopefully more mature than we were a year ago or two years ago. Yes. Other ways we change. Yeah, we get older. I mean, yeah. I could go into that, but I, I can't do all the things I used to be able to do. And I'm not even that, yeah, not even that old. I'm just like, yeah, we get older. What else? How do we change? Yeah, we change our habits. Like what we do with our time. Like, what we care about, our priorities, our habits. I'll ask a simple yes or no question to the, to the married people in the room. Um, is your spouse the same as they were on your wedding day? Can I get a nod or a shaking of the head? Okay, I would say no. Like most people would say that. And it's a crazy thing. We marry someone, we commit to them. And Maddie and I have talked about this. We're so different than we were. I mean, just our habits are our personalities are like what we're able to do physically. Um, our maturity, hopefully, um, is different than on our wedding day. We change constantly. We change constantly either by growing in positive ways and learning new things and becoming better versions of ourselves or weaker or more um, sinful versions of ourselves at times. I mean, we, we change constantly, but not so with God. Nothing, nothing can change him. Nothing can upset him. Not hurricanes, not pandemics, not new policies, not wars, not elections, not even deaths can upset him or upset his plans or catch him by surprise or thwart his purposes or make him, oh, a more mature God. Okay, now I've, I've grown into the God that I'm going to be for the rest of, of existence. No, he is always operating in his plan A, not falling back to plan B or C, and he is always himself. He is always reliably himself, unchanging. Now, practically, since he's immutable, we can trust that he will fulfill every promise of his word. We can trust that if he makes a promise, we've seen it in scripture that he has fulfilled some of his promises, and those promises that we're still waiting on, we can trust that he will fulfill them. Nothing is going to divert his plans or his purposes. And life can feel like a flood at times. It can feel like things are ever-changing outside of us as well. Not just us internally, but outside of us. Everything in flux. Um, but one of those great hymns that we sing here on Sunday mornings that 
maybe we'll sing today, I'm not sure. It's On Christ the Solid Rock I Stand. I love that song. I love that song, particularly this line. When darkness veils his lovely face, I'll rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. We can anchor our lives on an unchanging God. Um, how much time we got? Okay. We're going to quickly touch on a, uh, a difficult topic. But related to immutability is God's impassibility. You guys may have heard that term. I'll just quickly say that means without passions or emotions. And you're probably thinking like, wait, God? Does God have emotions? What would you say if someone asked you, does the God of the Bible have emotions? What would you say? Yeah, I'm getting a nod. Okay, I'm getting more nods. Okay, that's great. Uh, Yeah, correct. Biblically, we have to say yes. Absolutely, God has emotions. But how do we understand those? If he is, if he's not ruled by anything, he's not thwarted or diverted by anything, and he's not changing in his nature, and he's independent, he's self-existent, he doesn't need anybody or anything, then it kind of raises the question, how can God have emotions? How can he feel? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's good. He's not, he's not changing in his essence, his core being in his nature. He's not changing. He can act according to his nature, and it's expressed in emotional terms in the Bible. But I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to gloss over the fact that he delights in righteousness, that he grieves your pain and suffering, that he feels angry towards sin and rebellion. He does, and that the the word uses those words, and we have to understand those. I'd say the key difference. Is that, is that he's not ruled by those. He's not submitting to his emotions. Like we can feel things and not be able to shake them for, for days and weeks and not be able to get away and escape these emotions that we're feeling. God's not like that. He's not ruled by his feelings. He does feel. And he does have, God has a, a gracious, gentle heart towards us and an anger towards sin and rebellion. He has all these emotions, but he is not ruled by them. They are consistent with his nature and he, in his nature, is unchanging. This is good news for us, since we deserve wrath. Like, we deserve wrath. And Hosea 11:9, I will not execute my burning anger, for I am God and not a man. I will not be ruled by my anger. It's essentially what he's saying. 1 Samuel 15, 29, The glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man, that he should have regret. And when he saves us, he doesn't hold a grudge. God doesn't hold a grudge and just think, ah, man, I'm still a little upset with him. You know, if you're a parent in the room and you discipline your child and you're upset with something that they did, it's hard to get over that. Like, you're just still kind of fuming over that, even after you've forgiven them. And even with a friend, like, you've forgiven someone, but you still hold that grudge. Like, God doesn't do that. He's not ruled by his emotions in that way. Um, Any comments or questions on God's immutability, or anything we've covered so far. We're going to very quickly touch on God's infinite nature. <laughs> as, I, as I came out of my mouth, I was like, oh my gosh. Uh, I will try to get across everything that we need to see before we look at some of his attributes next week. Um, I, will, I will say, of all of the attributes, this one probably needs the most reflection time. Like if you are taking this um, later, I have some questions for reflection. I would say use those especially on how infinite God is. So we each live our lives with limits. We live in a profoundly finite existence. How many times have you heard there's only 24 hours in a day? How many, how many plans do you have that you just can't get to because you don't quite have the power to get there or just you're tied up with other priorities? Um, have you ever wished to be in two places at once? Like, oh, I wish I could oh my gosh, I have this other thing going on. I'm so sorry. Um, And it's kind of funny to think about the limits that we have, but it's not funny when you think about what if God had those limits? What if God had those limits on his 
his time and his power and space, uh, God is infinite. And we know this from the word that we know that he is without end or limits, infinite, so without end. Um, and we'll think quickly about God's infinite nature in terms of space, power, and time. Space, power, and time. Raise your hand if you've heard the term omnipresent. Omnipresent. Okay, that one's a little more common. That's good. Omnipresent. All present. So he is present everywhere. He's not limited by spatial location. Job chapter 1 really interestingly tells us that Satan walks across the earth to and fro on the earth, walking up and down on it. God does not need to calculate his ETA before he acts. Like, if you just look at your phone and you're like, oh, it's going to take 15 minutes to get to church. Oh, gosh. Uh, you know, I'll be there in a second. God doesn't have to do that. He's not limited by space, and he doesn't have to wait to act because he is not present there yet. So Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10. I will just write down, write down that verse reference, Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10. Essentially, where, sh- where can I go to be apart from God? I can't go anywhere and be apart from God. Though God is present everywhere, he's still distinct from the world. Um, pantheism, if you've heard of that, treats God like if you, if you take God minus the world, you get nothing. No, that's not what Christianity understands. God minus the world equals God. He is distinct from the world. Um, now, as we, understand, as we understand his infinite nature in terms of space, do you, we have any Star Wars fans in here? Do we have any Star Wars fans? I am a huge Star Wars nerd. Okay. Now, keep your hand raised if you've ever heard of a teacher named Richard Rohr. Richard Rohr. Okay, we have one. We have two. We is good. Three. I assumed that, that would be a lot lower than the number of Star Wars fans. But it's interesting as you, as you think about God, it's tempting to think of him like the force in a galaxy far, far away. It's just this sort of impersonal he's in everything. He's, he's one and the same with everything. And he just is this kind of life force. But as we've highlighted, he's not trapped or linked with creation. He is distinct from it. And that, that seems basic and we, like we could just move on from that, but it's being refuted more and more these days. It's being refuted uh, by teachers like Richard Rohr. He teaches an increasingly popular book. I've seen a lot of people I know have read it, The Universal Christ. As a book, I would just warn you against um, teaching, teaching things unbiblical about the nature of Christ as being interwoven and just inseparable from his creation. That's just not what we understand about God. That is unbiblical. Um, God stands distinct from space, from his creation, and he is omnipresent. Um, Now, we can talk about his presence as being indwelling, like his spirit is indwelling in Christians. We can talk about God being in heaven. Um, Hallowed be your name. Um, Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And the name, and with Christ, he is actually seated at the right hand of the Father. Like they're just thrown out different locational words that we use to describe God. And those seem contradictory. I'll just quickly note something for reflection later, not in the questions here, but something to note is that if we think about those in relational terms, those start to make more sense. They don't contradict. He is in heaven. He is ruling. He is indwelling. He is helping Christians. Christ is seated because his work is finished. And in relational terms, those location Uh, words used in scripture can make more sense. Practically, I think God's omnipresence is a comfort for us. We we don't have to wait for God to approach us. He's not far away. If we pray to him, he can respond because he is near. There's no appointments, no pilgrimages, no waiting on hold. (laughs) If you call your insurance company or cable company, like you're not waiting on hold to get to God. We go, we go boldly to the throne of grace in prayer. We can go because he is near. Now, practically, that's also a warning to us. We can't hide from God. There's no place we can go that he's not. So it's a comfort and it's a warning. He sees all, he knows all because he is everywhere. You're not fooling God by hiding sin. 
And so you can openly confess. You can confess your sins because God wants to be reconciled and he knows. He knows because he is everywhere. It's a comfort and it's a warning. Now quickly, God is also infinitely powerful. Um, There's absolutely nothing that he can't do. So omnipotent, if you've heard that term, omnipotent, he is just powerful infinitely. Um, There's absolutely nothing he can't do. And think for a moment all the times that you say, maybe in the past week, I can't. Just those two simple little words. Those are powerful words. I can't. I can't make it. Oh, I can't. I can't do that for you. I'm sorry. Like I, I don't have the right knowledge. I don't have enough power to do that in my schedule or my priorities. We never have to think or worry about God saying, "I can't do that. I cannot accomplish that." He will always act consistently with His nature, um, and He has the power to actually fulfill those purposes. Now, often at UBC services, we close with Jude verses 24 and 25. I'm going to read those two verses and just notice all the things that God is able to do. Able. He is powerful and able. Now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Jude 24 and 25. He's able to do those things. We don't have to worry that he can't quite make it. He can't muster up enough strength to keep us from stumbling. Lastly, I think it's important to note that he's infinite in terms of time. We won't spend as much time talking about this because I've sort of weaved it into those other two but he's, he's eternal. Eternal is a great word to just reflect on with God, that he is never flaky or tied up with other appointments or times that he um, is working on. He's not, he's not pressed for time on more urgent concerns than your concerns, if that makes sense. If you're a Christian, you're praying to him, you're, you need God to act, and you desperately need him, he's not urgently working on something else busy, distracted, because he's limited in time. He's outside of time. He's not limited by it. Now, I sort of blew through the infinite nature of God. And I want you guys to reflect on that more. But any comments or questions on that or anything we've discussed today, how God reveals himself, what he's like, any comments or questions, and I will, I will close this after getting one comment or question. Mm-hmm. Can you touch on again the uh, distinction or the reservation you had about the bricks of war interwoven or whatever? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, he, Roar, now, I don't want to get over my skis here, but Roar separates Jesus and Christ. So he talks about the person of Jesus as a man who lived 2,000 years ago, walked the land of Judea, and he, and he taught. And then Christ is this, is this divine sort of nature that is interwoven with all of what we see and, and taste and, and touch in our lives in creation. And it's, it's bordering on pantheism, but he sees... Yeah, he sees Jesus different than Christ, and Jesus, the man, took upon the nature of Christ in full, in fullness. Yeah, the the more I say, the like farther I'm getting from the Bible. Like, just honestly, the more you read, it's it's dangerous, and I just thought I'd raise it because I I see more and more people recommending that book, saying like, "Wow, this is super helpful." Yeah, not so much. Um, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, you can Google him. Uh, honestly, if you haven't heard of him, no worries, you know. Uh, but if you, ha- if you have heard the name, then there you go. Yeah, don't, I wouldn't, like, search that out or whatever. Um, any comments or questions on anything else? We've got a lot of good stuff coming up.
So we've covered a lot today. I'm grateful for you guys engaging. Uh, as I said at the beginning, our understanding of God is immediately practical. I've tried to touch on some of the ways that it's practical in our, that our daily lives as we wait on him and we wait to be with him on that last day. Today we've laid some groundwork, and I'm hoping to fill in with more of those attributes of God, his personal attributes. And we'll also touch on the Trinity next week, so come for that. Invite your friends. You know, I have, really quick, I have uh, the Trinity next week. I'm going to unpack that fully to you guys, and you will fully understand the Trinity. And then a few weeks from now, I have God's providence. Two weeks on that, so three weeks of just, you know, easy topics. Um, But I was thinking back, like, professional baseball, if you get on base a third of the time, like, you're in the Hall of Fame. And so, like, just if we can get one of those three weeks covered, then that'll be good. That'll be good. You can pray for me. Legitimately pray um, for all of us as we teach the somatic. But that's pretty close, and then we'll we'll head over there. Lord God, oh, the, the depth of your riches, the depth of your wisdom, the depth of your knowledge. Father God, how unsearchable are your judgments and how unknowable your ways we praise you god this morning for revealing yourself in your word we can study you we can understand you because you revealed yourself we praise you lord in all the ways you're different from us we pray you would remind us of all the reasons we can trust you as our good god infinite immutable father we pray that you prepare our hearts now as we gather with the body to worship in just a few moments. In your son's name we pray. Amen.